I'm Brian Carpenter, host of Fresh Air at Five, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And uh, before we go any further, I just want you to know that my interview today contains some colorful words and uh, adult topics. Amanda Che is an author, entrepreneur, a mom, a wife, a lifelong health nut, and someone who has lupus. Her book is The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, How to Control Your Shitty Diagnosis. So much to learn today. You know, you're going to find out about lupus and how to deal with it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And by the way, could you go to my website, stephenmaletta.com slash reviews and leave a review? That would be so nice. You know, say a few cool, nice words and uh, how about five stars? Hmm? <laughs> Thanks so much. You are awesome. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Amanda Che is an author, entrepreneur, and lifelong health nut who has helped countless businesses and individuals put their health first. With a master's degree in counseling and as the owner of a stress reduction and mindfulness training company, Amanda brings a wealth of expertise to her work. She is a member of the University of North Carolina Lupus Stakeholder Advisory Board and is a Lupus Foundation of American External Affairs Committee member for North Carolina. When she's not planning her next travel adventure with her daughters and husband, she's drinking jasmine tea, teaching yoga, and giving book suggestions to anyone willing to listen. You can learn more at amandache.com, and I'll put more of that information in my show notes. Uh, Our focus today will be Amanda's book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, How to Control Your Shitty Diagnosis. Amanda, thanks so much for joining me on the show, and say hi to everyone. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, and a pleasure to be in someone's new ears. Well, glad to have you here, and uh, I appreciate you talking with me, and uh, uh, congratulations on uh, your book coming out and and, and being out there. Thank you. Yes, it just came out. I heard someone say recently, uh, actually, it was Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. She had written a book, and she said, writing a book is like giving birth to a baby with four sharp corners, and I can relate. (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. There's a cool reference, too, by the way. Uh, Saved by the Bell. Huh? <laughs> nice. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. Uh, Tiffany. Poor Tiffany. I don't remember Tiffany's last name because she's Kelly Kapowski to me. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but I know who you're talking about. Watch the show. So good stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Amanda, part of our today is your book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, How to Control Your Shitty Diagnosis. But before we go there, could you tell us what lupus is? Sure. Yes. Lupus is a autoimmune disease that is considered both chronic, meaning it lasts not just for months, it lasts across a lifetime because the other part is it is incurable. All autoimmune diseases are not curable yet. Yet we say, but what happens is your immune system, something triggers it and it goes haywire and it attacks with lupus, healthy tissues, healthy organs, healthy cells. 
Now, what's unique about lupus is that it shows up different for every individual. It's like a snowflake, right? Each snowflake has its own kind of uh, configuration and the same with lupus. So for some, it may be minor. Uh, a common one is like the butterfly rash. That's why you see butterflies as a symbol of lupus. And for others, it may be severe. It may be fatal. You can lose organs. You can go into kidney failure. It's such a wide gamut. And I think that's why part of the reason why most people don't know very much about lupus. If you have some disease that affects everyone in all different ways and symptoms from losing hair to, uh, like I mentioned, losing a kidney, it's hard for people to wrap their brain around exactly what lupus is. I appreciate you explaining that. The uh, You know, um, a lot of people have different uh, um, situations that happen, and uh, many times things are removed and uh, or there's some some plan for if we do this, uh, you know, eventually it'll lessen, go away. Um, but what you're saying is it's there. And it's there. And in America, we have 1.5 million individuals who have lupus and 90% of them are women. So we got, you know, 1.35 million women. Now when men get lupus, it is definitely more severe, but when um, women have lupus, why that connection is, is we think it has to do with the, the estrogen going on that women have in their body. But, you know, overall, some symptoms that you, you may be interested in, some of the most common ones are fatigue. And that's not like I need like a, a cappuccino or a little Starbucks, you know, some froofy drink. It's like I wake up in the morning and I'm exhausted and I can barely pull on some clothes to go downstairs. So we've got fatigue. Another one very common is pain, lots of pain, certainly joint pain out there. Uh, and then it kind of goes, rolls down from hair loss to mouth sores to blood and kidney and liver issues and lung issues. So there's just a whole variety of symptoms that they show up. Gotcha. So let's go into your personal story. I mean, could you share a little bit about that and, and what was going on that made you realize that something wasn't right? Mm. So I blame my first daughter. Her name is Anna. She's 23 right now. She also has lupus, which is a little bit surprising um, and sucky all in the same manner. So when I was pregnant with Anna, it was rough. I had many, many hospitalizations. I was very, very sick. And it was a surprising time. We couldn't really figure out what's going on. But like a lot of medicine, we needed to make sure that I remained healthy, healthy enough that I could have a baby, right? So we go through those points um, a very weird time with me. And then I continue, I have another baby and life starts going on and I, I feel a lot of joint pain. Um, I'm always having these, you know, like mouth ulcers and the dentist says like, it's nothing, you know, don't worry about it. My blood starts looking weird. Like my white blood cells are off. Uh, my platelets are low. I live in Florida at the time and I'm very low on vitamin D, which is really weird. Uh, I started having more and more joint pain. So these things are going on. They're starting to build, and I just blame it on me being a crazy workout person. Uh, I moved to North Carolina. Now the pain is a lot. The shoulders, the hips, it's throbbing. I'm still, I've been teaching group fit for, you know, decades now, and I'm feeling really bad. I go to a doctor who does one of these, like, oh, you're not young anymore. You're just fine. And I'm like, you know, hey, asshole, run some tests. He does. And he calls me and says, oh, you have this um, this thing called uh, Sjogren's disease, which is another autoimmune disease typically attacks the moisture producing cells, the eyes, the mouth. Um, so I get that. And that's a diagnosis 
and they just kind of leave it at that. I go to a rheumatologist, a decade passes from that. And I just feel like something's off. And my rheumatologist keeps asking me these questions like, have you lost hair? And I'm like, well, no, why should I lose hair? Or do you had any lung infections? I'm like, no, why? You know, over and over, they ask me these questions. And eventually I begin to figure out that they think I have lupus, but my tests haven't shown it yet because there is no one test for lupus, which makes it so hard. So eventually um, COVID hits, I get, I feel really terrible. Lots of things happen. And finally, there, so there's four of a, there's 11 criteria from the American College of Rheumatology. You need four of the 11 to be officially diagnosed with lupus. I must have finally hit my mark and finally been diagnosed with lupus, but most likely I have had lupus all the way back from that time at the beginning when I was pregnant. It was that cursor that set my body off on the edge that I was really became sick. And it just took a long time. Now, on average, it takes people five to seven years to be diagnosed with lupus because it's a very challenging disease on many levels. But for me, it was more like, um, I don't know what, 21, 20, 21 years. But thankfully, six months later, my daughter was diagnosed with lupus. And I say thankfully because she did not have to struggle through those decades of uncertainty. I can only imagine, you know, that... Uh... I'm trying to how to nicely say that sometimes, you know, when someone wants to, you know, just kind of say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't realize that, uh, you know, like what was told to you, you're getting older or you're not young oh, anymore or something like yeah. this, or you're at, you know, doing all this stuff. And as opposed mm. to really taking it serious, what you're saying to them. Um, well, you know, one that's medical gaslighting, right? Happens yeah. a lot. It certainly happens to women. Oh, you're fine. You're emotional. You know, you're just, you're a woman. Go home and do these. You're hysterical. All of these things. That's very common. And that's occurred. And you know what? If I wasn't such a, a fierce mm, advocate for myself, I would have easily slunk away. We would not know I have lupus, but I just was certain that something is wrong and I'll be damned if I don't pay so much for health insurance. We will go until we figure it out. You know, I, I, it's one of the yeah, many things in my life, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of like this, but my health is definitely one. I'm like, you better watch out because I will read every book. I will write a book if I need to, and I will go out there and do the best that we can do to be an advocate. But not everyone can do that. I understand it's really hard. Well, especially if, you know, you you hear what you want to hear, I guess. Um, sure. And if someone says that, you know, you trust that they got the document on the wall and they're telling you kind of what you want to hear, which is, yeah, you're fine. Um, and we, yeah. And we want to hear, right. You want to hear something, you know, and I am, um, I'm similar as many other people out there. I have been through some really bad rheumatologists. We have, you know, care that I think is subpar that uh, you had to put up with. I think that's the frustrating thing also is that rheumatologists, there's a, they're dwindling in the numbers of physicians out there while these conditions continue to go up. So people, I waited eight months to get into my current physician out of the University of North Carolina. And she's awesome. But eight months is a long time to feel like crap and to really worry every single day if, you know, can I make it through today? How am I going to do it? Wow. That is, that is a long time because that, uh, that that's crazy. Uh, you know, so when you did have your diagnosis, um, how, how did you feel about it? I mean, when they, when finally they they tell you, Hey, this is, we're pretty sure this is what you got. Well, they, I thought I had it for a while, but I didn't know for sure. So when I got the definitive, I uh, did what everyone else does. You pick up your phone and you Google it. Right. 
You know, you're in the parking <laughs> yeah. lot, the doctor, okay, you have the most common type of lupus is called SLE. And I went in the car, I Googled it and you know, you, it's hard to wrap your brain around something so vague. So I bought a really thick book. I have somewhere around here. That's a very clinical description of lupus, everything out there you can think. And I uh, quickly learned that it was a very serious condition. I thought it maybe was like my Sjogren's. It's nothing that bad. I just do a few things and then it's going to go away. But I quickly learned that it's very serious. I learned that it's deadly. I learned all of these things and I instantly was, I felt alone. I didn't know anyone, no one, no one in my family has lupus. I was just, you know, like distraught and, you know, my husband oh, you know, we're in this together. I'm here for you. And I'm like, screw you, you know, like, screw you. I know he means well, but I'm like, you know, forget it. Like, I, this is just so lonely. You know, who wants to complain every single day that how bad they feel and over and over. I, I annoyed myself by that. So it was a very lonely, isolating time for me. That's, uh, <laughs> I, hmm. Having been the uh, recipient of uh, someone, when you say to them, hey, I'm here for you, and uh, <laughs> and they're like, you don't know what I'm going through, man. And uh, um, so I <laughs> it's, it's, I can only imagine right to the point right there that uh, you know, the, the others don't. So it's unless that's part of what you're it's dealing a hard, with. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to be a caregiver with someone who has any, you know, any type of chronic disease because that you want to support your person, but you don't know how. And that's when it often relies on the individual who has the disease as well to be able to parlay those needs. I need this. I want you to do that. Like with my husband, we got to the point where I'm like, you will not ask me how I'm doing on writing this book. Yeah. What did I tell you? We don't ask it because it got to be so stressful. And the same thing with my health. Some days I would just be like, we're going to come up with a number system and you're going to ask me and I'm just gonna be like four, 10, you know, and we would know to, so I wouldn't have to get through it. So it's a, it's a balance there with your, you know, the support and the caregiver system. Yeah, I can only imagine. And, uh, um, that's, uh, well-meaning from the other side, Absolutely, probably yeah. very annoying. Yeah. yeah you, they mean well, people mean well, lupus is one of the many of invisible illnesses. So that means you look okay on the outside, right? Oh, you've got lupus, you look fine. Maybe you even look good. But inside, it's like that iceberg where a storm is brewing and the body is raging. Raging. The CDC said that out of 61 million Americans who have physical and mental ailments, 10% of them are considered invisible illnesses. So this is where we come to turning for the people who love us and support us. And even those people out in the world, like today's World Mental Health Day, thinking about how many mental health illnesses are invisible illnesses. We have to turn our thoughts to how do we support people who look perfectly fine that don't have a broken arm or a cut across their face, but they still need us. They need our support and they need our education. So, so powerful and so important right there. They, uh, all right. So you decided to write and publish a book. The book's called <laughs> the girlfriend's guide to lupus, how to control your shitty diagnosis. So who's your target audience and what made you just say, all right, I gotta get this done. Oh, my audience are women because, as I mentioned, the most common type of lupus, 90% uh, are females there. So I wanted to write to them. You know, it was like when I was pregnant years ago, there was that one book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. That was the only book out there. I read the book and I'm like, okay, oh, 
little did we know there was way more to know. But nonetheless, <laughs> I wanted something similar to women. I wanted women to be like, I have this. It's terrible. I don't need the clinical, you know, your B cells and T cells and lymphocytes. I wanted to be like, oh, shit, girl, sit down. That is terrible. That sucks. I am so angry for you. I'm mad at the universe. Let's talk about this. That's what the book is really like it's the real view that you would have while you sit on a couch and you drink your wine or you drink your coffee and we talk about what lupus will bring you um, and how it's not a doom and gloom death sentence because in the end people are not their lupus they are much more and where i came up with that idea um i i always knew i'd write a book i remember I can see out the road right now. I remember walking my dog and had, I swear, like a lightning bolt, like you will write a book. And I was like, okay. And that title instantly came to me. And I never surprisingly searched out how to write a book, which is very contrary to my personality. <laughs> I didn't plan anything. I just sat down and wrote. I did Google how many words do you need for a book? And I wrote the book. I, sometimes I don't know how I amazed myself that I actually was dedicated and got it done, but it took like 15 months of full-time work to crank out this baby. Well, that's awesome that you took time to do it and uh, share it. And so we uh, share your thoughts and ideas. And, you know, so some things that you talk about are, you know, ways to, to help deal with this. And one of the things that you talk about is, you know, can cert eating certain foods keep your lup lupus in check? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the biggest ones I wanted to know because I, if I knew I had to eat a certain way, I would mentally put myself there and I would start eating that way because I, if I knew it was best. But the shocker was that there's no one best way that you have to eat for lupus. So you don't have to be gluten-free or paleo or vegan or any of these things. But what I found was similar to if you have heart disease or cancer or you just want to stay healthy, it's a lot of the components we know. Lots of vegetables, some fruits, some nuts, some legumes, watching out for trans fat, uh, one big thing, which is sad to me because I'm a lover of it, is sugar. Sugar fuels inflammation. We have chronic inflammation, so we need to be very conscious on how much sugar we consume in our body. Uh, when I was diagnosed, I chose to work with a registered dietitian, and so together we came up with the amount of 20 grams for me. And uh, that's, you know, it seems like something reasonable. So it's not that I'm trying to tell anyone in the book that they should avoid things completely. But we should begin to understand that where our body is and try to live within those limits. I did that. If you read the book, you would read the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, eat healthy. 20% of the time, go ahead. Eat those things that you really want to eat. And I would say, I hope you enjoy them during that time. Gotcha. And that's important information to know. And it's, you know, and it, it, especially I can imagine for you and with your background in health and thinking about what you're you're taking in and doing and uh um, seeing if it, you know, could stop it or mm. anything like yeah. that. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, that's a good point. There was one time I remember it was just a really bad day. I think I'd felt bad for a while. I was in the middle of a flare, which just means your disease activity increases. And I, I was going on, you know, right. I was having like a pity party. I was angry at the world. I was angry at everyone. And I remember um, I'd gotten on a Facebook group and there's like 60,000 people on a Facebook group. It is bad. If you ever want to feel good about yourself, you should go on one of those groups. And I remember this woman's like, I had eight teeth pulled today. And I was like, what the hell? I didn't even know you, you can lose teeth from lupus. This is getting to be too much. But it was one of those perspectives for me, right? That I knew life could be 
much worse. And even though I felt like total shit, I could still maintain my health, right? I had the tools. I have been living like this my whole life. I had all the things I've worked out since I was 18. Like these are just things that are my daily habits. And I think we, we look for like, how do I change my diet or how do I start doing these things? We look at big sweeping grand gestures and like, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, but really the secret and the beauty lies in the simple things that you do every single day. Those habits that are there for you, what you drink in the morning, do you walk outside, do you, you take some breaks, do you find ways to manage stress? And that's what I, I was grateful for on that day to finally remember that I had already under. And that's really what I want women to remember as well. Like it's not these big things, but it's the small things that are going to keep you, you know, your wellness in check. Because the healthier you can be, the more manageable your lupus will be as well. Oh, so important to know that, um, and that that has to help you. <laughs> to, to it does, yes. I get, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things you just mentioned a second ago were flares. You know, and mm. are, are there warning signs that this is going to happen? Is there a way to prevent them? Yes, thankfully, flares can last from days into months. What one of the things when you work with a rheumatologist is they manage your symptoms that show up and they also the goal is to stop or eradicate flares the best they can. Now, for everyone has different reasons why they flare, they might be things like increased level of stress. It might be an accident or an illness, you know, let's say COVID or a car accident. They could be changing medication or stopping of medication. So, and there's lots of different things for different people. Traveling is one of my flares, unfortunately. So when you flare, you need to do the best you can do to get it back down, get it to base level. And so for some, it might be days of just feeling more tired, right? You just continue to grow tired. Or for me, I often have this, um, neuropathy, this pain from that only shows up when I'm in the middle of flare or starting a flare from my knee down to my feet, where it feels like I've run a marathon, even though I never had. So as your disease uh, activity increases during a flare, you have to be as vigilant as you can to get it down, to tamper it down. Uh, at times there are medications, prednisone, which everyone seems to know those of us with lupus, we cringe because some people take prednisone for years, but the goal is to try to decrease that the most that you can. Well, that's important to know. So there are some thoughts out there about medication, but at the same time, that could become bad. It, or oh, oh when, uh, I remember this time I was on prednisone and all I could do was sing Beyonce's, you know, oh, the single ladies, you know, all, I sang in my head over on repeat over and over and over. And I was obsessively cleaning my house, which is, you know, was so weird. And I had said to my husband, he was out of town for work. And I was like, I actually think I need to go to the ER because I can't control my mind. And it was because I, I was on prednisone. I was on a, a higher level there. And these are just the things that prednisone. They do lots of things like a lack of sleep. Some people get moon face. You feel mentally not yourself. So it's a, a real challenge. Gotcha. That's, that's, you know, in this day and age where a lot of types of medications and such can uh, be habit forming or something and, and they have some sort of side effect, um, that's important to know. Mm. You know, you know it's, yeah, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? That I had asked a doctor recently at a conference. I'm like, tell me there's something new coming out in to get away with the prednisone to take it out of here. And then he's like, no, there's nothing yet. We just can't find anything. Wow. 
The medications are, you made a good point. Medications are very important. I went through a period where I was like, I am stronger than my medication. But when I was diagnosed with lupus, I finally realized that I was doing myself more harm by not taking any medication. And so I gladly take my, I take it every single day. Um, And you would be surprised that a large number of, I think I've read in a study, like 40%, 40 to 50% of people don't take their medication every single day. And it really impacts you. And so this seems like a simple thing to say. And that's, you know, I say it many times in the book, like you take that medicine. And if you decide you're going to stop, you first talk to your doctor, you get the approval, and then you stop. Because this is one simple thing we can do, like drinking some water to help you better manage your lupus. So, so powerful. I mean, especially because, you know, there's, well, I'm an example of somebody who uh, should have seen doctors probably a lot longer ago. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because the less you know, the better you are. That's, or at least that's the thought. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know? I understand. I know. I, uh, many people abide by that as well. I, I totally get that. So if I don't see it, I don't have to address it. That's right. Exactly. And uh, so I think that goes the same with medicine. You know, sometimes we, I think we think that, uh, you know, I can handle this, I can do this or whatever. And, you know, there's a reason why some of it exists, right? <laughs> True. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there are, there's certain things like um, high blood pressure, right? Maybe if you're in a lower level, yeah, let's work on that salt. Let's do those things that you need. Um, but when it comes to lupus, that would be one I would say, you know, of course I would refer to a rheumatologist, but I would be like, go to your rheumatologist, find a rheumatologist you trust. If you don't trust that rheumatologist, please find another one because we know that's one of the key things. If you trust your physician, you're more likely to listen to what the physician says and take his or her advice. So that would be what I would tell people. Gotcha. All right. So a little more personal of a question here that might go with people, um, um, wanting to know some information. I mean, an issue that happens with lupus is that can screw up your sex life, make, make it challenging. I mean, uh, could you share some thoughts about overcoming those challenges? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's many things that can happen with your sex life as a result of having lupus, whether that be the medicine you're on causes a change in your body, whether that being simply having this new diagnosis um, brings you mental health challenges, or as a result of there's something called NPSLE, neuropsychiatric lupus that comes on in addition to having lupus. So a lot of different factors come into why you might not feel so hot. You might not just want to go hop in the bed to make it all easier, right? And have some sex. Um, The way to get around that really has to do with awareness, right? Instead of it, knowing that it's a challenge, I really challenge people to dig in, to be like, what's going on with my body? What symptoms am I having? Is this physical? Is this mental? Is this a medication? Well, do you really need to go back and look over your medication? Read through everything, every single side effect. Is that something that you have? Is this a medication that you can talk to your physician about and come up with an alternative? So uh, that curiosity behind it and not just a, a simple acceptance of how it is. But there can be a point where you are like, this. these are the facts, right? This is how my sex life is going to be based on how my body is. But then I, I still challenge people to be like, uh, don't, don't always accept it. If it's things that are causing your body, maybe your hips are really hurting. Work with a physical therapist. They too have had sex. They might be able to talk to you about what's going on 
uh, in your bedroom that allows you to feel better so that you can enjoy the sex. So I guess I'm just not a one who is willing to accept like, oh, your sex life is bad. And then you move on. I'm like, Mm-mm, people look into it, be curious about it, change what you can change and then make those adaptions that makes it better and easier for you. Excellent advice. They, because uh, just like the conversation I was just having with you about doctors and medicine, a lot of people avoid that also. Um, any discussion well, yeah, about, yeah. about sex. Did you read that uh, part of the book where I talk about an orgasm a day keeps the rheumatologist away? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sure. Let's talk about this. I can tell you just get so excited. So I found out, which I thought was very exciting, that up to 50% of pain can be decreased when you have an orgasm, right? We know there's something good happens with them. You never know exactly why. And so now that I know it's my cheeky way of saying, I know it's not a fact that you do that, but if you're feeling really bad, you're having a really rough day, um, your body isn't doing well, you, you feel like you need some help sleeping, that's one option for you is to... Uh, to grab an orgasm, uh, you know, and allow yourself to sleep a little better and feel a little better as well. Excellent. Excellent thoughts and advice. And, and yeah, I, I have to say this again, cause it's kind of like what I said before with the, you know, avoiding the doctors or, or convincing yourself that you, you can go beyond the medicine, um, that people wouldn't have even ask a question like that, that what, what might help them. And so just avoid that well, also. Most of us don't even know that, right? I, when I did, there's a, an orgasm lab at Rutgers, if you can believe this. Very amazing um, research they're doing out there. I'm like, what? This is fascinating. There's everything being studied in life. But they, you know, when I read some of the results from it, I just thought, I had no idea. I mean, just the idea of like, oh, if you can do something to control your pain, it might be kind of nice. Why wouldn't we do some of these things? We, we look... I am an American. I understand. We look to some big, a pill, something else. Can someone change me? Can I buy a program? Do I need to wear this special t-shirt to change things? Because someone else is telling me to do it. But I think often we hold the keys to our health. And yeah, they're sometimes hard to do. And yeah, you need to do effort to do them. But in the end, I, I think that we are worth it because they create these daily habits, which are so impactful for us. Awesome. I appreciate that advice. Awesome. And we're sharing that. And uh, I'm sure there'll be people in the audience happy to hear some yeah. of those thoughts that you have. So um, good stuff. I, I, now you've raised two daughters while managing your illness. Uh, how'd you do this? And could you share some thoughts about what you've done to help make that possible? Mm. I love, love my daughter. Everyone loves their children, but I've always wanted daughters. I'm so happy to have daughters uh, in my life. They They have made me the best person I can be. Raising daughters while being ill, the, the good thing is I did not know for two decades that I had lupus, right? Because maybe I would have used it as many uh, crutches, ways to get out of it. Like, I can't take you to your friend's house. Don't you know I have lupus? Or I can't go shopping with you today. It's this lupus. But instead, I didn't have that. So I just simply had to go off the fact of having my own boundaries at times, knowing at times I needed to be prioritized. Now, when I was younger, I can't tell you when the kids were babies that I was always the best at that. But the older I got, the more I learned that I could be like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not feeling well today. I can't do that for you. Can you come up with another option? And they were okay with that. So I imagine they know me no different as just a mom, their mom who takes care of them. But managing a, a chronic illness and taking care of others is a, a very delicate balance and your boundaries are 
the things that protect your health and they protect you by you setting limits on what you will and will not accept. And that's where I think it's very challenging for women who are mothers there because we are so used to giving everything. We we turn ourselves inside out to give to those we love. And it's, you know, against our, our better judgment at times to be like, no, no, I have to take care of me or there'll be nothing left in order to take care of you. Yeah, that's so important to understand. I think uh, I think sometimes people, you know, we all, we all have this concept that we can't be that we can't say, hey, I need a timeout. <laughs> There's something's going on here. And uh, I don't know if you can understand it yet, but at some point we'll have a deeper discussion. But at the same time, I need to, I, I need to go over here or I need just. Mm. I think what we need to remember, it doesn't matter if you have lupus or if you're anyone else, when you prioritize, when you stand up for what you need in life, you give someone else the freedom to do it as well. They see you do it and they do it. Uh, I have a friend named Marcy. So I, when I'd first met her, we were going to go and meet somewhere and go for a walk, but it was raining that day. So I messaged her in the morning and I'm like, it's raining, let's reschedule. And so she called me later that day and she sounded a little bit angry. She's like, I was waiting for you in the rain. And I'm like, oh, I messaged you. And she's like, I don't check my phone that early in the morning. You said you were going to be there. And I waited, you know, this disappointed me. And I'm like, okay. And at first I was like, oh, sheesh. All right. All right, Marcy. But the more I thought about it, the more I knew where I stood with her and I knew where her boundaries were. And I learned to respect that because she told me what she wanted. She didn't lie about me. She told me she was disappointed. I said I was sorry. And then we moved on and it was fine. And so we got to remember that boundaries um, aren't really about trying to change anyone. They're only solely about me and what I need in order to be the best me. And those are very important, but hard. I, yes, I can only imagine. I, it, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you've mentioned already is that your daughter, your one daughter has been diagnosed with lupus. And you said that you're thankful that, you know, early as opposed mm. to it being drawn out. I mean, can you tell, talk about how you're helping her deal with it? Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I think it's one of the reasons why I have lupus in my mind is that I can be a mom. I can be support to my daughter, Anna, who has lupus and, how I support her. I mean, I think she's, she should be so grateful to have me as a mom because I understand what she's going through when her days are like this. And when she has to have that done or the medical costs are so expensive, expensive. It's, you know, I'm one of the first people that she calls and I've, I've cried with her. I've laughed with her. I've given her support. Um, I've suggested my own book a multitude of times to her to begin to understand these things. So I think it's, it's a back and forth relationship when I'm having one day I was having a really, really bad flare and I wouldn't talk to my husband. I wouldn't talk to anyone, but I would talk to Anna because I knew what she was going through and you don't have to say much. I'm like, it was a terrible day. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you can just be there because you know that someone feels the pain that you feel. That's awesome. And, and, and you know, it's in, to be able to provide some support or ideas for somebody to how to approach this, I mean, it is uh, especially your own child, um, you, you, like something you said earlier, it's kind of like you're giving permission to, you know, if they see you doing it and therefore they're, they're giving them permission that it's okay to address these things and, and talk about them. So, yeah, yeah, very true. And she's also, you know, everyone who comes to lupus is at different stages. I like to think of it as, as you go through, similar to someone dying, it's a grieving process. And 
as we know, grief isn't like, oh, I've gone on to all my phases. I'm done grieving. Grief goes back and forth and wax and wanes. And so it took me a while in order to just, I was just on me. Like, can I just survive? Right. I, I didn't care at the moment, you know, in the best way possible about other people who were suffering because I was just too busy suffering. And now that I've begun to pull myself out of that, you know, I, I began to see, pick my head up and see so many people were so greatly in pain and, and needed that support. And, you know, that's where Anna is, um, where she's still, I think, dealing with the pain. I mean, she's a baby. She's, you know, had this for a few years. She's only 23 years old and she's got a whole life diagnosis. And I wasn't into my mid forties when I had this. So, you know, I, I can definitely understand where people don't want to come out. They don't want to say anything about it. They just want to deal with their pain. But I also know that there's a light at the end and there's resources. And, you know, we can have that little flashlight, that laser pointer that give people hope as they move forward. And then that's like, I can't even begin to explain how, how powerful that is to be able to do that. So, you know, the, you know, one of the things that uh, um, I got to, I got to ask you is, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, trying to build support, you know, the idea that, uh, um, you know, you kind of surround yourself with a, a team of people who love and, and support you. And I mean, how, what sort of advice are you going to give the listeners who are either thinking about or, or know they have lupus about uh, the importance of a support team like that? Hmm. One thing I say is to be a really choosy chick, uh, meaning you can look through who you have in your life now and you can choose who you want. Um, I call it a support posse, right? A group of people who are on your team. They can be family. They can be friends. They can be a neighbor. They can be whoever you want. But I want you to take a close look at those people in your life. And I am a very choosy chick. I have some absolutely amazing friends, but I have chosen them. And there are people that I have been like, mm -mm. like I will assess people come in and I'll see how much drama they are or how I feel when I'm around them. And I will choose to keep them in or decide that it's just not a good fit for me. So that's what I would say to many people. And, you know, it, it, there is a part in there where I have a, a relationship. I don't have a relationship anymore with a family member because it was, uh, unhealthy for me at this point in my life where that's a really hard thing to choose, but I knew in the end I had to do what's best for me. And so that's what I would tell people as well. Like you don't have to keep all these people around. Like I still have these family members. They're just not in my inner posse. So they may, may or may not ask how I'm doing and maybe may not ask about my lupus, but it's fine. But my support posse are those people who know what's going on. And if you were just diagnosed with lupus, you form your posse, I would tell you to get all those people together, hang out on zoom, hang out in your kitchen, tell them what lupus is, because most likely they won't know what it is. It's okay. Tell them what your future may look like and tell them how to best support you, whether that be through answering any questions from other family members, or I need someone to feed my cat this day, someone to take me to a doctor this day, someone to go meet a disability lawyer that day. Let people know how to help you. That's so, so, so important. And, and I got to go back to something you said. Being a, a husband myself, if someone was, was you know, you, you made some comments earlier about uh, um, some things that your husband may have said that uh, you came up with ways of getting him to understand that this, this may not be the time for that conversation you know, or or, yeah, 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 yeah. You got, I mean, come on, we still got to be smart and choose our battles wisely. But yeah, you know, my husband, uh, we've been married 24 years and he says, I can't read your mind. And I'm like, you know, by now we think like everyone, our spouse should know each other so well, but 
we don't at times. And so if you need something, you're going to have to tell that person what you need. And it's going to take some awareness for you to be like, what do I actually need? I need an hour alone without you. Okay. All right. Great. So you tell the person what you need and it's up to them to reciprocate that need, but you've got to be able to get that out there for them to understand. That's awesome. Uh, congratulations on 24. I'm at 37. Yeah. I'm at 37. So it still goes Ooh, on what you're talking right. about. So <laughs> no rolls on, doesn't it? Yes. It's and- amazing. Every year I'm like, it's a miracle. Every year, and my kids are like, oh, you say that every year. I'm like, every year is a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> and it's, it's one thing, it, what you just said a second ago is so so important, I think, the idea that uh, there are times when uh, you, you, know, you think that you've been together so long, you got to know me by now. <laughs> mm. hmm. Okay, so. Um, yeah, yeah. We're I'm, constantly evolving and changing. My husband just uh, was on a flight yesterday, and he hadn't read my book yet. And he, he's like, I read the first 10 chapters. He's like, this is good stuff. And I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've been telling you this. This is important things. Uh, you know, you have to let people meet you where they are. And you can't make people love and support you the way that you want it. You have to be able to understand where their needs are and find that balance in the middle. That is awesome. I, you know, one of the, uh, coming up on the last questions, we're going to close out here in just a second. Uh, but uh, one of the, the things I got to ask you is how do you, how do you overcome a feeling? I mean, I, I can imagine there've been times that you feel like quitting. I mean, how do you overcome that? Quitting. Just <laughs> everything just yeah just i'm done i this is why is this bothering me why is this why is this my problem why am i having to do this and i don't want to do anymore i don't want to deal with this yeah 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 i mean uh absolutely there have been many times why why me freaking worked out for you know all these 30 years why now why yeah i think the you know victim i felt like a victim i felt uh wronged in life i you know every spiritual, you know, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, like what the hell did you do to me type of thing? I just have to go back to putting one foot in front of the other, right? You know, like you get up in the morning, I drink some tea and I walk my dog. And it's because I think I have these habits, they support me in my life. Not that I'm uh, any uh, perfect example of anything. You know, I still have stress. I still have you know, I, I make poor choices. I have to suffer through them. But in the end, I know that these are all choices. And so I have to choose what I want. And almost always, thankfully, in the end is, all right, we can get through this. Today is a new day. Here's an African proverb that is, this too shall pass. And that's kind of my mantra. Or the newest mantra I've come up with uh, uh, certainly when I was getting the book out is done is better than perfect because perfect is never done. Nice. Nice. I love it. Cause uh, the idea is that, you know, what you're talking about, there's so it, sometimes it, you know, it's easy to get caught up in that, that mindset. And I can only imagine with what you're, you're dealing with that. Uh, why and stop it and leave me alone. And I'm, I don't know what to do. And mm. I think, yeah, absolutely. I say that's where you, I turn to good counselors, you know, good therapists, good close friends where you can just be uh, upset. There was uh, my best friend in the world, her childhood friend had cancer and she had gone through surgery. She'd gone through chemo and radiation and she was done. And my friend was telling me, um, my bestie's named Megan. And I remember 
walking and crying as she told me this. And I was like, and I'm like, I'm going to sound like such a jerk. And she's like, just say it. And I'm like, must be nice. Must be nice to be able to be done being, you know, having cancer. Wow. I wish I could have surgery and do all these things and just be done. And it was, you know, I was in a dark space then, but it, it's that idea, like the finality of it, like forever. Oh, you have this forever. No cure. Just keep on fighting. It is a lot for people to deal with, with lupus. It's a very heavy weight. It's the Mr. T chain, all of his chains that pull you down constantly. And you have to strive. You have to strengthen these muscles to pull yourself back up each day. So powerful. And thank you for sharing. I, you know, uh, Amanda, my audience is made up of educators of all type. All right. And, uh, um, and I like asking my guests this question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Oh, my favorite teacher ever is Miss Patty Weber at Fairfield elementary school in outside Cincinnati, Ohio. She was my brother's first grade teacher. She was mine. She was such a wonderful, I can see her face now. She was sweet. She had some children and I just remember her always being kind. I, I love my teachers throughout my lifetime. I think I can pick out every year across all the way through college that teachers have been impactful. It's the most amazing work to be able to educate someone and give them the support and guidance. Love it. Awesome. Amanda, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and or learn more and uh, uh, get your book, where would you send them? The book you can get on Amazon. You can find me on Instagram at Amanda E. Che. And then I have a website, AmandaChe.com. Don't you know that website was available? <laughs> nice, nice. I'll have that information in the show notes so it'll be easy for people to find. And uh, I can't thank you enough for sharing your book, The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus, How to Control Your Shitty Diagnosis. Powerful book, and thank you for you know sharing your experiences and your thoughts about how to deal with it. Um, greatly appreciated. Wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you. I appreciate your time and all your great questions. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.